When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is up, lacrosse fans? We are doing a live stream, so this is going to be a little bit weird, and I'm kind of sitting here watching uh, my monitors over here to see what's going on as we're uh, as we're chatting it up, but it's uh, the holiday. We I, I took work off a little bit early here today, so I figured 4 o'clock sound, sounded like a good time to do our first actual uh, live streamed episode. We've gone live on Facebook before, and uh, it wasn't too bad, actually, but YouTube Live, it's where to go. So today, we are going to talk about Docs Aitken uh, making it official. He will not be returning to UVA. We will talk about Brendan Grimes, uh, incoming freshman, number uh, uh, inside lacrosse's number four, incoming freshman, heading to Hopkins. We'll talk a little bit about him. I'm going to talk about uh, a, a quick little Cuse fall ball recap uh, from Syracuse.com, a little interview with um, John Desco. I wasn't able to make the uh, stream for that one, but I did watch it and read read a couple of articles about it. Uh, another little topic we're going to talk about is the best D1 players to not win the Twarton. Uh, so there's a list that I actually had saw on Twitter that outlined the players that they thought were the best players to not win the Twarton. I agreed with all of them, but there was a, a notable player that wasn't on the list that I wanted to talk about as well. And what else? We got a mailbag question. Uh, someone wanted me to do a way too early Twarton um and national championship uh, pick. They wanted me wanted me to make a pick for each of them. So I'm going to do that on the fly. I haven't even uh, decided who I was going to say. I know who I'm going to say for the Twarton, and probably most of you already do as well. But we'll see. And then I wanted to do a couple of uh, Section Four shoutouts. I, I live here in the Section Four region of Upstate New York, and there was a couple of guys that have you know kind of busted into the news here. So I wanted to talk a little bit about them as well. Before I get into the rest of it here, uh, for those that are watching back later, or I guess for even those that might be watching live, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. They're down here somewhere. And uh, as always, just share the crap out of this with your friends, family, help it grow. And if you want to support us beyond all of that, you can go to laxfactor.com, get yourself some swag and other type things. Now, one thing we're going to do, and I will say this uh, a few times through the live stream, I got a couple of things we're going to give away uh, to commenters as we're ripping through the show here. So this jersey uh, that is here behind me, it's actually a sample that I got many moons ago from lacrosse wear. So it has never been worn. It has been in a bin uh, collecting dust, right? in a bin not collecting dust for a while. So we're going to give this away to one of the commenters. We'll announce the winner uh, probably across social media. Uh, and have people get a hold of us, or maybe we'll announce it here during the show. I'm not sure. And then I have this Tribe Lacrosse shirt. This is a medium, and it says the little, uh, the little brother of war. So we had this a while ago, and we just simply just forgot to to give this away. This was this came from Tribe Lacrosse. You can go to tribelacrosse.com. They've uh, been good friends of the show. So let's get into this now here because I am ready to start talking. Docs Aitken. Now, this is a big deal. This is a big deal for the shape of the ACC. 
this is a big deal, um, a, a, a raw deal, I guess, uh, if you want to call it something for UVA. Nobody at UVA, none of the alum, probably none of the players, although they probably all knew, really wanted to accept that he wasn't coming back, except Tillman. Tillman kind of has been hinting at it all along, that we're playing without him, we're practicing without him. Uh, and he was he was my pick probably for the best midfielder in division one last year at the beginning of the year i was i was hyped on aiken i've been hyped on aiken since he was a sophomore but i thought he was going to tear it up last year he had kind of a slow start to his 2020 just started out uh, i think uva was four and two uh at the point where covid nixed the rest of the season and Aiken had uh, just nine goals and a helper. So that's a little bit slower of a pace for him. But it was it was probably tough because he had played years prior where they, they kind of had a deeper midfield. Matt Moore played on the midfield two years ago with him. Uh, and then he had Ryan Conrad the year before that. So last year was one of the first years where he got all the attention. And I'm talking all the attention. Uh, so he's a stud. He's drawn poles every time. He's drawn double teams. So, you know, kind of keying on Aitken was uh, was something that every team did, at least through those first six games. So he started out a little slow, but it didn't change the fact that uh, the attention he got kind of opened things up for them a little bit. Um, and his loss is going to be felt badly by UVA. As I have some stats here, I know last year the leading scoring midfielder was uh, Cormier. And he's coming back, so that's good news for UVA because he's probably going to be one of their leading contributors out of the midfield if he's not playing attack, which I don't think he will be. I think he'll almost definitely be playing midfield. But uh, they lose, they, they, but they, and then so they lose Aikens, you know, ten points, and he's put up thirty plus every year before that. Coming back though, they've got uh, Cormier at twelve and seven last year, so he puts up nineteen points. So that's a solid midfielder. He's listed as an attackman on the roster, but that's, I presume he'll be playing mid. They bring back Jeff Connor, presumably he was one and eight. So he kind of just flipped Aiken stats. He was one and eight with nine points. And then a bunch of unknown guys, Peter Garno, six and two. So he got some points. Reagan Quinn uh, could be a solid, a solid player one and four. Uh, and, and I mean, that's assuming all these guys actually end up do coming back. But I think that that, that takes UVA from having a, uh, you know, one of the better first midfields, in the country, you know, you'd have to put them in the in the in the top twenty at least, top fifteen with Aiken and Cormier, and then whoever would fill in uh, into that third spot, and it kind of drops them right down quite a bit. Uh, so, in terms, especially just in the ACC, in terms of midfield depth, they're going to be hurting a little bit. I think Syracuse is definitely the deepest team at midfield in the ACC. I like Duke with some of the additions they've gotten. It kind of deepens their roster, so you'd think you might even see some of their attackmen running a little bit of midfield here. So that kind of thing, I think, is it's going to hurt them. You know, you win games between the boxes, and between the boxes is going to be uh, UVA's probably their biggest weakness in 2021. So that was that was terrible news, terrible news for UVA. One thing I didn't say yet here: if you want a chance to win this T-shirt here, it is a medium tribe lacrosse T-shirt. It says "The Little Brother of War" on it. Just comment below anything about the show. Ask a question, anything, and if it's worthy and good, I'm just going to start throwing crap out to you guys. And same thing for this jersey behind me. Tell me what you want. You want the T-shirt? You want the jersey? I think the jersey is an extra large, and this is a medium. So you can kind of throw in your comment, ask me a question, and then uh, tell me which which item you want. Or, or once I pick it, you could actually do it also. So let's move on from that. Uh, one thing that I wanted to talk about as well was uh, prayer, player profile time. And I wanted to talk about Brendan Grimes. He is inside lacrosse's fourth 
uh, incoming freshman. He's his goal. They say per the per the article uh, by Matt Kinnear that I was reading was uh, you know national title. They want to try to get back, and that, that's a that's a, a typical thing you'll see at the these former I say former powerhouses like Syracuse and Hopkins where they haven't won the big one in quite a while. Uh, the goal still is every year to try to get back to the final four, get back to Memorial day weekend and win a national title. So that, that he kind of has to say that, uh, that's just paying us all lip service, but Grimes is legit. They have a decent class overall coming in. A lot of kids from big school, big name schools, boys, Latin, Calvert hall, Culver military Academy. So all the usual suspects there and Grimes looks to be the, the biggest get of all of them. He is a big lefty sniper. Uh, so real quick, I'm going to take a drink. Thought on Cam Bedore at Duke. Um, ah, I don't know. I'd say, I, I mean, he's going to contribute again. Uh, so, I mean, that, that's going to be for sure. But I, I'm not sure. Duke is a Duke is a tough one to read overall. So this question here, sorry, I'm jumping into a that's crazy question. I think that was the name of the person on, on, on the YouTube. He asked uh, what I thought about Cam Bedore at Duke and uh, – let me see here. Let's see what he he put up inside lacrosse.com. That's one of the things we'll do here too, though, is, you know, we might as well as we're just sitting here, I'll look some more things up randomly so we don't have to have this be quite so buttoned up. Not that I'm I'm ever really all that buttoned up. All right, let's see what Bajor did. All right, so he was eight and seven. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, with that midfield line, uh, the second midfield line, which I think Bedour was on, was a lot better than that first midfield line. Um, the first midfield line, I believe even they, they by the end of the, the COVID shortened season, I believe that second midfield line was getting more burned than the first. The first, and right now I'm not 100% sure who was on it. I think that first line was Nakai Montgomery. Maybe it was Walsh and Lowry on it and then that second line who was that was it Berdour Caputo yeah see I can't even remember who was on the line I just know that second line and I think Berdour was on it where they were playing much better lacrosse they were sharing the ball they just kind of flowed with the offense a little bit where it looked like that first line was kind of forcing things way too much so you know I think Cambador is going to be filthy uh overall I think especially you know but look at he puts up 15 points as a junior, so you know, assuming he's going to you know play his next year and then maybe even another year, that's he's going to be a solid, solid midfielder for uh, for Duke for sure. Let's get back to Grimes here. I got sidetracked. Big lefty sniper. I watched his highlight cut, and his highlight cut was a lot of just catch and release, really quick catch and release shoots shots. Uh, a lot of two and three step dodges because obviously a guy like him, you're, the defenses you're trying to game plan for for Grimes is you know don't let him keep it, don't make sure his hands are never free, never just give him straight up time and room to shoot because he will step down and rip on people, and a lot of times he doesn't even bother stepping down, he just lets it rip right where he's standing. So as defenders are kind of trying to get hot to break down on him, get down on his hands, he would do a lot of running by guys. He's he's pretty just like a lot of lefty snipers, he's really good at. Uh, catching the ball on that left wing as the defender's coming to break down, ducking under the defender and trying to put the stick across and duck underneath and then bring it back and score. So a lot of that kind of stuff. But he, I wouldn't say he's a Dodger. I know in the article and Inside the Cross, he talked about how he was trying to get to the point where he was like a Ben Reeves type player. And he's got a Ben Reeves type build. I'm just not sure. I think he's kind of more of a shooter 
overall than than a Ben Reeves type player where Ben Reeves was kind of the the triple threat. He could dodge, he could feed, and then he could uh, I forget what the third threat is here as I'm blanking now, but but Ben Reeves he could kind of do it all and it's not that it's not that Grimes isn't going to be able to do that. I just think that Grimes is going to be a little bit more of a finisher sniper and uh you know kind of play off ball a little bit more to the point where uh, he'll dodge still and he'll, you know, from he can even take it up from X and try to beat his guy high. I know that was something he said he was working on. I just feel like he's going to be a little bit more of a shooter. It doesn't matter him camping on that left side. It is going to be deadly. Teams are going to hate it. I would presume he's going to get time right away. I can't imagine that he wouldn't. Um, the kid, the kid could play ball. And he's going to score a bunch of goals, a boatload of goals. I think he will definitely be goal heavy. Even as a freshman, though, I think he's going to get on the field and I think he's going to kind of fill it up. A little bit. I think, though, overall, like where I kind of knocked him, saying I don't think he's a Ben Reeves type player. I mean, who the hell, who the hell am I? You know, that, that's the tough thing, and one of the reasons I've kind of avoided um, prognosticating on on players that are, uh, you know, incoming freshmen, guys who haven't stepped on the field uh, for a Division One team yet. It's hard to to see what these guys are going to do. A lot of these top five, top ten recruits, they don't always become the absolute studs that you hope or think that they're going to become. So I, I think that he's definitely going to do big things. I think he's going to be a 30, 40, 50 point score eventually at the D one level. I don't know how that'll, how that'll play out, but uh, Ben Reeves, maybe not. I think that Reeves was probably a little bit better of a Dodger even coming in um, than, than Grimes is, but I don't know crap. So, you know, I hope he proves me wrong. Seems like a good kid though. Everybody that I talked to uh, as I was kind of doing the rounds and watching the videos and everything, everyone seemed to, to have a lot of good things uh, to say about Grimes. Moving on. And before I move on, let's ask, see if there's any more questions. There is not. I see we got seven concurrent viewers. That's not terrible. I've never done a live stream, and we didn't really announce this. We kind of just popped on. But in between each segment, I'll say it. If you are watching right now and you want to try to win this shirt, the Little Brother of War Tribe Lacrosse shirt, uh, you can go to tribelacrosse.com and see all the crazy stuff they have. They are well known for their reversible pennies. They have all sorts of crazy pennies. And then we're also going to give away this jersey behind me. So pretty much just ask a question. I'll answer it. And then at the end of this, I'm just going to pick a couple of people and we're just going to give you this stuff randomly. Uh, we got Cody up here, Adler or Upgren in cage. I am going to say that Upgren just being the returner, Upgren has a really good shot. Why are you guys all so heavy on Duke here? What's going on? I mean, is there, is there too, there's too many Duke fans in my world right now. As, as if it's not bad enough that the Syracuse fan has to deal with a uh, defense that's going to have to defend Michael Sowers here in the, uh, this upcoming spring. I'm constantly having to, to cover Duke and, and talk about him. Uh, I think Adler. I think the Upgren has an advantage slightly because he is the returner. But I think Adler is a young guy. Adler, what is he going to be? Is he going to be a junior, I think? Technically, if it wasn't for COVID, I can't remember. But I think Adler is probably overall the better ball stopper. He's probably a slightly more athletic goalkeeper. Uh, so I I would, if I had to bet, I had to put money on this, depending on what the odds were, I, I'd go with Adler if it was just who do I think is going to get that spot. I, I think overall he's probably a slightly better goalie. Upgren has had moments where he's been solid. He's just streaky. He reminds me, in terms of his overall play, a little bit like uh, Alex Road from Virginia, a solid goalkeeper, a very serviceable, serviceable goalkeeper. Uh, but no one, people shouldn't forget that Road got benched at one point 
in the the 2019 season, the year that Virginia won the national championship, and he was the goalie. He won a starting job back, and he was the goalie that was in cage when they won that national championship. So I think Upgren's kind of been streaky like Road. I think that given the right circumstances, given the right defense in front of him, I think like a lot of the Division One goalies, he could be as good as anybody. But I think Adler probably has a little bit more of an upside, a little bit more athletic, and I think he's probably a little bit better of a ball stopper, which is kind of the whole the whole um, idea behind being a goalie. Let me take a pause here for a quick sip. Um, sorry, I'm slapping, uh, smacking my lips in your ear. Next up, Cuse fall ball recap. So one thing that we learned kind of from the press conference with John Desco was that he is hype as we all are for uh, Owen Hiltz and, uh, and that he may end up getting on the field sooner than later due to the fact that he is a lefty. Now he's also filthy, so that that definitely doesn't hurt um, hurt him in any way. The the fact that he's he's filthy and a lefty, but Syracuse is predominantly right-handed, and I, I believe Desco had said in the interview uh, in the press conference that they only had three lefties on the roster, so that's going to help him a great deal. And man, maybe in man-up situations, maybe in situational settings, but but Hiltz is a a a a, 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 a goal scorer. You know, the kid, the kid can score goals. And I think a lot of people thought he would end up getting on the field, but to hear Desco kind of confirm that apparently he, he looked really good in the fall, the 2022, uh, commits Cuse has now, uh, I think they're now they're up to three, five-star recruits. Uh, so one of the things that Tanner from uh, lacrosse bucket talked about was that, well, we had, you know, we've got a record number of kids so far in 2022 that have already committed. I think it was like 80% of the class that inside lacrosse keeps track of had been committed, but that's going to mean there's going to be a record number of flips. So let's hope this isn't the case because right now Cuse has three really solid five-star recruits and the newest one, uh, Billy Dwan, Billy Dwan, uh, former hop coaches, kid lefty defender. They say he was one of the smartest defenders in the group. And uh, Syracuse badly needs talent on defense. So that was a huge pickup for Syracuse. Uh, too bad they couldn't grab the Petro uh, twins, but, you know, shit happens and you don't always get what you want. Um, this really good Twitter post, it was by Quick Stick. Let me, let me check my Facebook because Facebook is blowing up here. I was thinking it was maybe people from watching the live stream, but it's not. It's my kids harassing me. Uh, no other qu- Hey, before we get into the other segment, as I keep saying over and over again, if you want a chance to win this t-shirt here, Tribe Lacrosse, the little brother of war, just comment uh, down below here and I'll answer your question. And then we're just going to literally pick out whoever comments. And right now there's only two guys who have commented. So right now they're, they're, they're winning. They're in the lead here for this. And then this behind me also, we'll give this away before the end of the show. Uh, so quick stick, best D1 NCAA lacrosse players to not win the Tawarton. And they, they kind of put this list out in no particular order. Tom Schreiber. Paul Rabel, which I agree, Joe Fletcher, Jordan Wolf, you know, Trevor Baptiste. When you start getting into the the face-off guys and defenders, uh, that that's where you kind of start to lose me again, only because it's not that they're not the, you know, they don't fit that that mold of the best players to never win the Twarton. It's just that they were never legitimately going to be considered in the end anyway, because the Twarton always goes to an attackman, or if it goes to a midfielder, he better be an absolute legend pimp not that Rabel wasn't but there was other legend pimps that were playing about the same time as Rabel uh Matt Landis Joel White Matt Cavanaugh Doc Schneider Zach Greer and then they said who else one glaring thing on this list that I noticed right away especially because this player didn't graduate all that long ago was no mention 
of Connor Field. So I don't know how you put a list together of the greatest players to ever play that didn't win a Tawarton, and you don't include Connor Fields probably right up at the top of that list. Because, yes, you can make the argument, hey, Paul Rabel, maybe he, he overall he's a better player than Connor Fields was. I think it'd be tough to make that argument overall, especially at the college level, because Connor Fields filled up the goal. He fed. He did everything for Albany in the four years that he played for him. And then his senior year pretty much played on a, you know, a peg leg through most of the season and still tore it up. So I like Connor Fields, and I think he should have been the first one mentioned on that list. But overall, it wasn't bad. And then you hear other guys. The other one that was left off the list was uh, Grant Amet. So, you know, College Cross, they had commented that Amet, I heard he was pretty good. And then we go down the list here, and they show some other weird stuff. I'm trying to see some of the other replies. Eh, it's not even worth it here in the end, but that was cool. Let's see what else we got here. Any other questions? Nope. Nope. So right now that's crazy. And Cody, you guys are in the lead for the t-shirts and all that good stuff. Uh, mailbag. Uh, this is the one I got to do here. Uh, Steesberg on, I believe this was one of the comments in YouTube. Can you do a way too early to Wharton and national championship pick on an episode? So yeah, I'm going to do that now. And I'm going to start with the Tawarton pick because the Twarton pick is is an absolutely easy one for me to knock out. The Twarton pick is going to be Michael Sowers. If Michael Sowers is healthy through the whole season, Mike Sowers will be the Twarton winner, I think, and I don't think it'll even be close. And that that's just, you, you can take that one to the bank. Now, national championship pick, that's tough. I'm going to try, as I, as I think this out, I'm going to try not to be a homer, and just choose Syracuse, but my national championship pick, my way too early national championship pick, the easy choice I think would be Duke because Duke returns a lot of talent. They, they were missing that guy. They pick up that guy in Sowers. Uh, they pick up a, a, one of Sowers' old line mates, and I believe it was his roommate in Robertson. And then they return their Robertson, and they return everybody else also. So I think Duke would be the easy pick and probably the Vegas favorite. If we were to go down that road, I think though that how often, how often does the obvious favorite win the national championship? I don't think that the the obvious um, team at the beginning of the year is, is usually the team that ends up winning it. I mean, as we go back, let's see, Virginia, nobody, very few people picked Virginia as their national title winner. I mean, I, I think I that year I may have had them in the top ten, top fifteen. Um, you look back the year before that, Yale, the year that Yale won it. I don't think anyone had Yale winning it at the beginning of the season. I think that the the year that Virginia won it, a lot of people, I picked Yale. I think Yale was one of my, I think my dark horse that year was Cornell. But I am going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to say, and I, I truly, I really believe this. I think that if we just try to say Duke's the favorite, but because they're the favorite, I can't pick them because they probably, you know, it's really hard to to be the favorite, to be the favorite all year, to stay healthy and then win that title because you still got to play these games and matchups are what they are. I'm going to say we are going to have a Duke-Syracuse final and Syracuse is going to beat Duke. I, I even predict this. I predict Duke. Syracuse has owned Duke in the regular season, I think the last three or four years. Uh, it's definitely the last three years. They beat him by a goal every game. And this was this was typically as Duke was was ranked more highly than Syracuse was. So I think what you'll end up seeing is Duke is going to get revenge on Syracuse in the regular season. They're going to meet each other in the national title game. And Syracuse is going to get revenge on Duke for what was the year Duke beat Cuse in the finals? Was it 2009 or 2011 that Syracuse had overall the better team? Syracuse got murked 
at the faceoff X to lose that national title. That team, um, that that they was one of the most efficient offenses that I've ever seen. They 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 straight up played a solid six on six almost all the time. It was it was you know no more run and gun Syracuse. This was a very deliberate offensive team, uh, and they just they they made a game of it early, but they just couldn't win enough faceoffs to to keep things going. So that really sucked for all of us uh, Syracuse fans here. Oh, okay, here we go. Questions. Who is going to start at attack for Cuse now that Owen Hiltz is there? I think we're going to see a pretty much a repeat of who started on attack last year. I think you're going to see um, – um, let me go through the roster, though. Because well, now, now that we say this out loud, I am kind of serious or curious. All right. Scanlon's a no-brainer. I think that Rafus is also a no-brainer. The whole crew is coming back, so that's the thing. I mean, you got Scanlon, you got Rafus, and then you've got Cook. I think what we probably see to start the spring out is Cook probably gets to start on attack with the other two, with Scanlon and with Rafus. But I wouldn't be surprised to see Hilt split time and to see them maybe even run kind of a three-man rotation. I don't want to see Scanlon and Hilt on the on the field at the same time. That would be I like Cook because Cook is a is a, a much better Dodger, even though he didn't put points up. I guess he had nine points last year um, through Syracuse's first five games, so that's not terrible. But some of us were hoping that he was going to fill it up a little bit more. So yeah, I think we're going to see a repeat. I think we'll see Cook, Scanlon, and Rafus on attack again. I think you'll see Hilt get in there a boatload though. Uh, to the point where he'll probably be a 20-point scorer just about. But Cuse is crazy. Like, the midfield is going to be nuts, too. So offensively, it almost it, – I'm not going to say that it doesn't matter who picks up that that third attack spot, but it almost doesn't matter who picks up that third attack spot because our midfielders are going to really anchor the offense, and then the attackmen are just going to kind of be role players, and that's really all they'll need to be. But all of them are more than capable. So I think that uh, that's what we're going to see. Out of Q. So let's see what else we got. And who asked that? That was uh, Lucas McElroy. Uh, da, 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 da. We got Jack Cohen. Jack Cohen asks me, what's your analysis on Notre Dame? I tell you what, Notre Dame, until they picked up those transfers, and I'm, I'm going to draw a blank here right now on who Notre Dame picked up. Let me go to see if they got their roster up. Notre Dame lacrosse roster um they ended up picking up a couple of transfers that scare me a little bit so i think that uh the notre dame is going to be really solid i think that the acc is just going to be a mess because where it's usually maybe you got two teams at the top the last couple of years it's been duke virginia with kind of syracuse and notre dame filling in that third and fourth spot syracuse even kind of filling in two and one depending on the year but it's been those top four with kind of unc sitting down at the bottom unc you know they pick up uh uh, what's his nuts there from Boston? You. And all of a sudden, UNC kind of looked like they were going to uh, frog jump uh, Notre Dame. Let's see. Is this their roster this year? So I don't remember who the hell the transfers that Notre Dame got. I want to say they got one of the Penn kids, maybe two of the Penn kids. Uh, did they get the face-off guy? Did, uh, did Notre Dame also get the, the face-off guy from Penn? Because if they got him, then that's going to be scary as well. I think that Notre Dame is is in, in the hunt. And actually, with, with UVA losing... With UVA losing Aiken, uh, I think that that kind of puts... I, I, like, I like Duke, Syracuse, and then that third spot is anybody's. Between UVA, Notre Dame, and UNC, it could be anybody's. But I think UN, Notre Dame probably has a legitimate shot at, at being right in there. It's just going to come down to how do they match up against the other teams in the ACC and what's that do to them. I think their, their non-conference schedule, though, they're probably 
going to win the the large bulk of their non-conference games. I'd be surprised if they lost more than one non-conference game, but I wouldn't be so the, le- the least bit surprised to see them lose three uh, ACC games. That's that's what stinks about the ACC is this year you already have I think it was the uh, four four of the ACC teams in the top 10, maybe it was even five of them. Um, but the kicker is going to be that they are going to beat on each other, and there there could potentially be a team that loses all four of their ACC contests, and that team could still be a very legitimate top 20 team. So I think Notre Dame is going to be very good. I talk a ton about Syracuse, Virginia, and Duke. Partly that's just because they've been a little bit better the last couple of years and a little bit more interesting to watch, but also it's because they, they have a larger fan base and they draw more views. Notre Dame, though, is right there in the hunt, especially because of some of the pick, uh, the transfers that they picked up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to look here one more time and see if I can see who they picked up, and I can't. I can't, so that's it. Sorry. Sorry, Jack. That's as deep as I can go there. Whatever. Oh, he says, I don't know about that. I think whatever is calling me out for uh, picking Syracuse here. That's a problem. Uh, we got Casey. Casey, can you talk about the whole incoming freshman class at Hopkins? No, I can't. I do have a link to it here, and I'm just going to tell you honestly why I can't. It's because I have no freaking idea who any of these kids are. I've actually, I've actually said it before, and I actually have said that one of the reasons I don't talk about the incoming class is just there's so many, so many names, so many guys you don't know come springtime if they're even going to be on the roster, still at that school, if they're ever going to see anybody play. So while I can't speak to these kids, what I can say is, you know, like you mentioned, uh, Casey, Casey, you talked about uh, Cam Chauvet. He's one of the Culver kids. Um, let's see. We got a Park City, Utah kid, Dylan Bauer. Uh, who was the other guy that I liked? Tyler Dunn, faceoff guy from Calvert Hall. Anytime you, you get guys from Boys Latin, Calvert Hall, and these types of schools, it's always going to help you because they're coming from from winning programs. Uh, Cody, what I don't know how to pronounce that. Cody Incy from McDonough. Uh, that's another big cat. Yeah, so no, I, I, I wish I could. I wish I knew more of these guys. And maybe someday I will take a greater interest in in recruiting and in incoming uh, freshman classes. But right now it's just hard to to speak to these kids because I haven't been able to see them play. And I, I know nothing about them. I won't speak about most of the guys on this list. I'll probably never mention their game names again. Um, but, you know, except the guys that do end up contrib- contributing uh, slowly but surely. So that was all I have there. And let's see, what else did we have here? So we've got player shout out. Section four. So I hail from uh, Whitney Point. I, I went to high school in Whitney Point, played at Whitney Point, uh, but now I live in Vestal. But I've, I've coached uh, for four years a high school across in section four, and then I coached Broom. Uh, I was the head coach at Broom Community College, and that's, you know, in Binghamton within section four. So almost all of our players were section four kids, at least in while I was there. So Section four holds a special place in my heart and slowly but surely we're actually going to, to to put out a section four podcast starting with an episode about Nick Marabito, one of the greatest section four lacrosse players of all time, bar none. I got I had the pleasure of coaching him for a year or two at Shenango Forks when he was a freshman and a sophomore. And then when I was coaching at Whitney Point, he was, you know, a conference opponent uh, for two years while I was at Whitney Point. So I got to know the know him pretty well. I got to know his game very well. And then he uh, for anyone that doesn't know, he was a standout at Navy for four years. So that'll be the first official Section Four podcast. Is going to be all about Nick Marabito. We got a couple of guys we're going to talk to about him. Uh, we might even get Nick. Uh, we'll see how that goes. But the whole idea was to not get the player that we're talking about and to get other people to come in and say nice things about him. So we have that lined up. But Rory Thompson. 
uh, Shenango Valley product, Sweetlax. He signed with Fairfield. It was just announced. Thompson is a 2021 um, player out of CV. So uh, Shenango Valley, that's kind of the bitter rival of Shenango Forks, at least in football. Uh, they were a fairly bitter rival for years. Uh, two high schools that kind of sit about 10 minutes down the road from each other, and they hate each other. Um, from a lacrosse standpoint, CV didn't have a team when I was playing or coaching, or if they did when I was coaching, uh, I don't know that we played them. If we did, we only played them like once or twice. But yeah, Rory Thompson, Sweet Lax kid, CV kid, he signed with Fairfield. And then there was a really good article uh, in uh, a local on a local uh, news website, WBNG, about JC's DJ Near. Uh, he got to participate in the Under Armour All American. Uh, uh, games where I think there was what three or four teams there, something like that. So I mean, it was you play at that level. That's never going to be bad. Near's a young kid. Near's been playing varsity at JC I think since uh, he was in eighth grade or something like that. But so he is almost definitely a future D one talent unless he chooses for specific reasons to go somewhere else. But uh, everybody watch out for that name, DJ Near. And uh, I, I I'm not, I can't show it. Um, but I'm going to put this up in social media, but did any of you guys see the, the, the video that was on social media that was floating around to that pole that he was tailing somebody and he went to kind of swing at somebody and then he kind of pole vaulted over his stick. I wanted to show it in the show. And if I didn't do this live, I would have done that, but I didn't end up doing it. So for the people who are just joining us, uh, sadly, I think we're about ready, uh, to be done here. I, I thought I might get through two beers in this and I only ended up drinking one, but, um, boom, if you want to. Witness shirt. I'm going to give everybody a little bit more time as I tell one more story. Just comment down below. We've only got like seven or eight comments in there. Uh, it is a tribe lacrosse shirt. The little brother of war is what it says. This is a medium. And then I'm going to give away that jersey behind me as well. That is a uh, lacrosse wear. I think lacrosse wear is still around. Um, it, it's a sample that I've just had in the trunk forever. So we're just going to give that out and ship that out to someone. So just comment down below. One of the things that uh, we're going to do as we kind of come up with more segments and try to put out some more content is, uh, is just a little bit more storytelling and talking about, you know, just how I engaged with the sport of lacrosse. And, and because I think this week I saw a bunch of people talking about, um, specifically speaking to them being thankful, uh, for the sport of lacrosse in various ways and talking about why they're thankful for it. I figured I would kind of go into the, the various ways that I've engaged with the sport, uh, over the years. So I, I played obviously like all of you or most anyone who's watching, I'm sure you've all played lacrosse. So I obviously played the sport. I coached the sport and it's weird too, because I started playing in fifth grade. I started coaching a team when I was in eighth grade. So when I was in eighth grade, my lacrosse coach, our youth coach gave me and a buddy, a team that we were able to kind of just travel up with through the ranks. So I started coaching a youth club team in eighth grade. They were a group of eight, nine and 10 year olds. And then I followed them up right through my senior year. By the time they were done, they were playing 13, 14 and 15. I believe one of the kids that we coached may have actually ended up being one of our teammates um, by the time I was a senior. But so that, you know, from a player's perspective, from a coach's perspective, and then I refed everything from summer league stuff to tournaments when I was a younger kid. And then I, when I, when I stopped coaching at Broom, I uh, ref for two years, uh, you know, in an official capacity where I did modified JV and varsity games and everything. So one thing I wanted to talk about was we saw a lot of stuff before the COVID hit where people were talking about officiating and, and they were, it was a mix of people bashing officials with officials saying how, you know, it, this is such a terrible gig. Nobody wants to do it. We have shortages, blah, blah, blah. So one of the things I thought was weird as, as I was coming up and as I was officiating it, I, it was terrible. 
like when you did summer league and when you did anything that, re- that, that was tied to youth, it really was as bad as you hear everybody say. And I think that the, there's so much um, uh, emphasis now put on Nate ham, whatever. I saw that I saw, I, I actually have for a future episode. I have the ham kid in my notes because I did see that he had committed somewhere as well. Where did he commit? Throw that in there if you see it and I'll mention it. But uh, another section four kid, Nate ham from Horseheads. He's pretty, he's pretty badass. And Tommy Cole, I do have a, a take for on uh, Maryland here also. So in terms of officiating though, by far the worst that you ever saw it was at the, the youth level and at that kind of tournament, that summer tournament level. And the summer tournaments didn't used to be as bad when it used to be, you know, either maybe it was like the JV coaches that were traveling with your team or somebody's dad, but the summer tournaments were never bad until it started to become these, these travel team and the more elite travel team tournaments doing those was by far the worst officiating experience that you could have. And I think most officials would agree when I coached. However, when I, when I refed, I mean, uh, modified JV and varsity games, I never had, I never had any of the terrible experiences over my two year refing career. There wasn't a career. It was just two years that I did it. Uh, I pretty much did a game or two, sometimes three games a week. I, it was pretty split evenly between modified JV and varsity. I will say you saw a lot more, you took a lot more crap from coaches uh, where you were actually just like, oh my God, well, this guy just shut up at the, at the, uh, modified in the JV level at the varsity level. Luckily in our area, at least the coaches tend to be extremely professional, uh, in our area, the officials, not every official is great, but there are enough really good officials in our area that you almost always had enough fish officials put together that you had a good crew. You typically would always get a fair shake. Now there are going to be guys and coaches from our area that are going to, to try to say that's not true, but it is, you know, we're, we, we in section four and in New York and like a lot of the other hotbeds, we're just lucky to have decent officials and not all of them played. A lot of the officials in our area are just football guys that just take that shit super seriously and they do a good job. But for me, the, the, the weird thing was going from being a college coach to an official. When you're a coach, you really do know more than the officials in terms of the game, the flow of the game. And I think even seeing the game for the most part, you end up seeing the game from a wider vantage point. You end up catching a few penalties that they miss. You end up maybe seeing that penalty they called that you didn't think it was. And more importantly, just in terms of lacrosse, the coaches typically do know we're a little bit more entrenched in the game. We typically know more. I agree. You know, as someone now who's done it both, I think that's that's just about a fact. It's not always the rule, but it's pretty darn close generally. What I could not believe once I started officiating, what and what gave me way more respect for officials than I than I had had prior. Not that I disrespected officials prior. Uh, maybe there was a couple that would argue that I did, but um, it was how many freaking rules these guys have to and like football officials. I think would all just be nodding their heads with me. Yeah, you would not believe the number of rules we have to know that the coaches have no idea about, but. The, the number of rules that you, you, it's not just a matter of you should know them. You have to know them because if you end up getting put as the lead official on any of these games, and I ended up doing a couple of JV games where I was a lead official and it was scary because I realized like, holy shit, I don't know all these rules that I need to know. And like the way that uh, just an example, like the way penalties stack, if you end up getting too many penalties stacked on the same team, the way that you serve them and release them, like there was, if that ever happened to me, I would have totally flubbed it and would have been screwed. But I think that people don't realize how hard of a job officiating is. Officiating is extremely, extremely difficult. The The amount of technical knowledge as it pertains to the rules that you need to retain and you need to be able to act on in a moment's notice is is ridiculous. And it actually, when I used to know nothing, 
and I was just rolling out in the field to ref a summer league game or a box game or something like that, or even a tournament game, you had no worries because it was a lot looser. When you're doing an officially sanctioned high school game and it's a varsity game and you're running around there having to get these calls right, having to get your stupid hand signals right, or coaches are freaking out and you've got to do all of that in just about real time, I think that people need to cut officials some slack and uh, and it's, it's just an extremely hard job. So what I would tell everybody, be nice to the officials. Kiss the officials' asses. Every crew that you get, you know, talk to them before the game. Befriend them before the game. Because trust me, one of the things we talked about in the, the coaches group last night as we were talking about officials in Facebook was um, co- there's coaches that can't believe that you mean to say that if you're nice to an official that they may give you a call or two. It's like, what are you, a dumbass? Of course. If you are nice to an official and you are cordial to an official, and especially if the other coach is the opposite of that, you can bet your sweet ass you are going to get a call or two. Uh, and if you don't get a call or two, you could bet that that official is going to magically miss an offsides for that other team or something like that. And I admitted to it that I never did anything unsafe over all the years that I refed where I put players at risk because I was mad at some jerk coach, but I definitely turned my head uh, away from a couple of offsides penalties, or maybe you were a little bit quicker to throw a flag on a tic-tac, ticky-tack kind of call because that coach had been harassing you, freaking out on you, screaming to call the slash on the other team. So when it comes back his way, you're like, hey, I'll call the game then the way you want me to. And boom, you lay a slash on one of his guys for you know something that maybe you wouldn't have called otherwise just because he was being a jerk. So granted, people are going to light me up for admitting that out loud, but I'm just saying, I'm just saying it's true. That does happen a little bit. Oh, we got some questions here. Um, okay. It was Tom E. Coles. Oh, whatever. Why are you retracting your messages? Did you say something offensive or something like that? Uh, Tom E. Cole, what is your call for Maryland? And Maryland, like Virginia, they have a scenario where they have this stud, uh, Bernhardt, who they're not sure is coming back. I don't think you're going to see Bernhardt come back, uh, although I don't know. But that's a big deal for Maryland because, listen, I think Maryland is going to be able to weather losing Bernhardt probably a little bit more maybe than UVA is going to be able to weather Aiken um, only because I think Maryland is loaded and they can kind of rinse and repeat and fill on that attack. Bernhardt, while incredible, Bernhardt was kind of a chameleon that did everything. So I think the way that Bernhardt contributed within that offense last year uh, makes him a little bit more replaceable, even though the dude is an absolute stud. I don't mean it like that. I'm not trying to cut him down. I just think that when you're a dude who he wasn't carrying the ball every time, um, he was playing a lot of off ball, letting the game, you know, come to him a little bit. I think that uh, with the talent that Maryland has, I think they're just going, they'll, they'll be okay even if he doesn't show up. If Bernhardt shows up, though, you know, I think Maryland uh, takes the big, the big uh, 10 back. I think that Penn State, you lose Amet. Amet was a huge chunk of that offense in, in between the amount of attention he garnered, the amount of eyeballs that def- the defense had to put in his direction and not on other guys. I think that Penn State lost a lot when they lost Amet, and whether whether Maryland loses Bernhardt or not, Maryland's, I think, bringing back a better core. They've got a great ball-carrying core, and they're just they're always ready to rinse and repeat. So I think that we'll see Maryland take the Big Ten back from Penn State. I think that probably Penn State and Hopkins will do battle for the number two and number three spot, and you could even throw Ohio State in there. I think Michigan, you know, Rutgers and those guys are going to be, they're going to kind of fill in uh, in the basement there for the Big Ten. Uh, what do we got here? I just said Nate Ham was good for an upstate New York kid. So whatever, we've got this thing going where he is not an upstate New Yorker. Therefore, he is uh, an enemy of upstate New York. 
So he wants to trash on the New York, uh, upstate New York kids. But whatever, man, whatever. So I think that's it. I think that uh, I have been rambling on here now for 40 minutes. What are we looking at here? 43 minutes. So I think it's one of the longer videos that we did. So we're going to do this now. I am going to kind of read through here. And what I'm going to try to do is figure out who I think was the most thoughtful in terms of their questions. Hey, Tom, I'm from upstate New York, and I definitely don't think upstate New York is that bad. I do not think that upstate New York is the hotbed that Long Island or Maryland are, and I'm going to take a lot of flack for that. But I mean, upstate New York is a big region, and there is a lot of good lacrosse coming out of almost every region um, in this area. You know, every year, obviously, the Syracuse area puts out a bunch of talent. Now you're looking at like the Rochester, western New York, putting out a bunch of talent. Victor's been just rolling forever. Uh, Northern New York, we've got some talent, even down here in the southern here we can ball so don't forget about us so definitely um upstate isn't you know one of the top three top five hotbeds or whatnot but i mean there's a boatload you know coaches spend a lot of time and give this area a lot of attention so you know what we're gonna do here because i liked it and because a lot of people don't um don't bring it up a lot uh, don't talk about notre dame a lot i'm gonna throw the t-shirt here to jack cohen so Jack, if you can, uh, you can either hit me up in the comments here, but if it's easier, uh, private messages on Instagram, it would be, um, uh, lax factor podcast on Instagram. And then we're just lax factor on Facebook and Twitter. So just send a private message. You are going to get either you get first pick, by the way, you get either the t-shirt or the Jersey, you get to pick it. And then we're going to say Lucas McElroy, because you get uh, you kind of led me into being able to talk about that Syracuse attack a little bit. You get whatever um, uh, Jack doesn't pick. So if Jack picks that, you get this. If Jack picks this, you get that. Same thing. Hit me up on any any media you can, but typically uh, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Instagram, Lax Factor Podcast. Twitter is just at Lax Factor, and Facebook is Lax Factor as well. As always. Thank you for listening and watching. Probably we will do a, a regular show uh, tomorrow morning. I haven't figured out what it's going to be about yet, but we'll probably put out another show tomorrow morning. Uh, we're going to put this out, audio version of this. If you are people who like to listen to audio, go to laxfactor.com, or no, uh, go to anchor.fm forward slash laxfactor. That's the home of the podcast, but you can listen to the podcast anywhere where you get them, Spotify, Apple, Google, all those places. As always, go to laxfactor.com if you want to support us beyond that, and you can get yourself swag, hats, t-shirts. We got this hat here, and uh, I think that is it. Do we have any other? Oh, man, whatever's going to hit me up for 80s, 90s, Q's roster questions later. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll probably do more of these live streams, though. I think that's the goal, is the easiest way to get us up to two shows a week is to do one live stream and one official show. We'll keep doing the official show on Thursday mornings, and we'll probably do the live streams. Uh, we'll start announcing them before we do it, but we'll do those like Monday, Tuesday. Usually we won't do it Wednesday night because we won't want it to run into the uh, regular weekly show. So, as always, everybody, thank you for watching, and let's see if I can time this right. And Hoost is out. The Last Factor Podcast.